I have such a confirming word tonight of what's been being taught, what we've been asking the Lord for and seeking the Lord for concerning royalty and who we are as his royal priesthood that we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we're a holy priesthood and a holy nation. And then it says we're also a royal priesthood. In the holy priesthood, it speaks of us coming before the Lord and ministering to the Lord. But in the royal priesthood that follows, how many of you know if you get before our king, it just automatically causes you to come away more royal? Because there's nobody more royal than Jesus. Do I hear an amen? Think of it. What could be more royal than going before a king and giving him your absolute best? What could be more holy than you taking the very things that God blesses you with and the very first part of it, you give it to the Lord. You go before him and offer it to the most royal being in the universe and in the heavens above. How royal is that? How incredible is that? See, I, I feel very strongly in my convictions, in my conscience, about giving to the Lord. Because everything that I am, everything I ever have had, or hope to have, or hope to be, came from Him. Everything. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Life is a gift. I remember a few years ago, I was having what I thought asthma. And I began to get breathing apparatuses because I couldn't, I couldn't breathe deep. It went on for a couple of years and I traveled and ministered. And at the end of the road of me being able to go out and minister, I had a tank full of oxygen and an apparatus on my face as I pulled up to the churches I was going to preach at. I had an oxygen bottle. I couldn't breathe. And I was fighting for every breath. I was so weak that I would... It took all I could do to get in the building and preach. Bring the message and share the gospel. I'd been to doctors and they diagnosed me with asthma. They gave me some breather apparatus things, you know, <clears throat> so I could breathe, drug. They put me on really, really, really strong 
strongest drug they could give me. Prednisone. Anybody know anything about that? I think that's what it's called. Prednisone? Yeah, prednisone. And it opens up your lungs. But it destroys your muscle tissues in your body. Fiber. It destroys your vital organs. And I was on this for a year and a half. And now preaching. And that was at the end. I finally was going to doctors and getting... Because I was fighting to just stay alive. And they kept telling me that it was asthma. And I, something's awful wrong here. So I finally listened to my wife and went to a doctor that she knew. He was a he was a cardiologist and a heart surgeon who had become a naturopathic doctor and had gone to natural medicine. He had a long list of operations and successes, but now he had a longer list of helping people through the right kind of food and drink and water and exercise and all of that. And I remember getting out of the car, my wife helping me into the office because I barely had, I, it, I'd come to the place to where I crawled on my knees to the bathroom. It was that bad. <laughs> Fighting for every breath. And I just didn't want to go to doctors. I wanted to be healed. And they had told me, I'd been to one and they said, we got to put stints in you because you, your heart's not working right. You need stints. You got a blocked artery. And I threw the prescription away and held on. And I wouldn't go get the operation because I just knew God was going to heal me. I was really standing no matter what. My wife just says, you're just stubborn. Well, when I walked into that office, barely able to walk, I'm describing it, it was a lot worse than I'm telling you. It was really bad. And I walked in and he, they, he came in the room, the nurse had set me down, had run a cup, she walked over to him, whispered to him, he came over looked at me, checked a couple of things. He looked at my wife and he said, <clears throat> go put him in the car and get him to the hospital as fast as you can. We don't have time for an ambulance. And, she said, and he said, don't stop for anything. She said, what, what do you mean? What, what's, what's going on? He said, you've got to get him to a hospital right now. And he said, don't stop for nothing. If you have to drive a little faster, drive fast. Get there and don't stop for nothing. And he turned and looked right at me and he said, and I hope she makes it on time. I got to the hospital and went up to the desk and I had this order from him and I put it down and they called somebody and they came and got me. And they took me in and started running tests and I was almost flatlined. And my heart infraction was 7 to 15%. You die under 15. And I'd been living like that. And preaching the gospel. 
I was that determined to be healed by the stripes of Jesus. And I almost died. Standing. Declaring it in faith. Throwing away my medicines. Finally taking it because I couldn't breathe unless I did. Now my kids and my wife didn't applaud any of it. And neither did the doctors and neither did anybody else. They said, you should have gotten help a long time ago. What's the matter with you? Jennifer came to the hospital that first night and slept in the room all night watching over me and praying. Her and another daughter. I was seeing a room full of people and I was talking to them. But there was nobody there except them. I was laughing and everything. I was in, I was seeing in heavenly places. The spirits of just men made perfect and angels had gathered around me. I had absolutely no sense or no fear of dying. I knew I wasn't going to die. I knew it. I knew it wasn't my time. I had so much confidence in the Lord to heal me. And then I got the diagnosis and they gave me all kinds of drugs and stuff. My family got in my face and said, you're going to take every bit of help they have. Because if you're not, we're not sitting next to your bed and watching you die. She didn't say that. My other sons and daughters and did. They gave the diagnosis and, I, and they took pictures and did everything and they said, your heart's your bottom chamber's dead. It's not working at all. The rest of it totally diseased. And your aorta, your main, your upper aorta is barely working. And we're going to get, we'll have to give you a quadruple bypass. And they explained it all. And they said, and because your bottom chamber is dead, we don't know, it could be asleep. We don't know if it'll wake up. We do the operation, it has to wake back up for your heart to start. Because your aorta is so bad that it, your chances of kicking the top chamber, you have two chambers, and they both have to kick in. And he said, the top, the, with your aorta the way it is, the top aorta isn't strong enough to kick both of them. He said, your chances of survival are 20%. I said, that's pretty good chances. That's all I need, because God will take care of the other 80. That's what I said. And I didn't have any sense I was going to die. None. I knew how royal Jesus was. I stood before him in heaven and saw him. People nowadays, they tell you all these, they've been to heaven and seen Jesus and all that. I went to heaven and seen Jesus. My body disappeared, everything. I went there. 
When I came back, I came back in a different place, surrounded by men that couldn't look in my eyes because they were coals of fire. And they were dumbfounded. And I was glad they were standing there because when I came to myself and saw that I was back, because he told me I had to come back, when I saw I was back, suddenly my legs turned to rubber, my whole body fell apart, and I collapsed. And they had to carry me to a bed and lay me down because I was so infused with the glory of God, of the resurrected, glorified Son of God, who dwells in unapproachable light that no man can even approach unto. You can't appear before the Lord in all of his glory. He was encased in a protective dome. I couldn't, he wouldn't let me come any closer. You know, a welder has those lights they put over them and they can weld and look. If they take it off, it'll blind them. He had that around him. And he was so beautiful and so phenomenal. This resurrected son of God was so amazing that I couldn't, people say, oh, you would fall down in fear before him. He was so incredible, I lost all consciousness of myself. All of my hands and my being did was, <laughs> I didn't feel unworthy, I didn't feel anything, except, oh my God, you're so amazing. And I had no consciousness of myself at all. He took away all self-consciousness. And I couldn't keep from worshiping him. I could not keep from it. He's so royal, so amazing. He's so incredibly rugged and beautiful and handsome and strong looking and fierce and kind all at once. It's amazing. And I beheld the king in all of his glory and lived to tell about it. You can see God live. I didn't see the Father, but I saw the glorified Son. He's amazing. He's beautiful. He's incredible. It's amazing. You can stand there and worship him and every part of your being trembling, vibrating, rejoicing, ecstasy, amazing brilliance and awe and wonder and, and total and you don't want to do one little thing except worship him and love him and everything else would be a sin. Is that beautiful? Is that amazing? Even to be self-conscious would be sin. That's how glorious he is. He's so royal. I saw the Lord. He's high and lifted up. It has taken me through many, many, many things. I wouldn't be alive today if he hadn't given me that kind of grace. I could not have stood 
at what I've been through. And oh, have I seen glorious things since then too. And wonderful works. Amazing things. He is so, he's so royal. His royalties be there's no words. You can't even describe it. He didn't have on rags, he had rags. He had on the most glorious, beautiful, incredible, shimmering, glistening white garment. And it lived and it was part of it. The majesty of his face. His blue eyes were eternity. It was like getting a bird's eye up close view of the whole universe all at once. And then 10 times more, 10,000 times more amazing and awe than that. I tried to find words to describe it. It was. When I came back for three weeks, all I could think of was him and, ever, and the world and everything around me seemed so lost and so undone and so I didn't I don't remember seeing heaven at all because he totally captivated every part of me but when I came back I had all of these visions all these memories I could see heaven everywhere and describe it perfect detail the majesty that was all around him as, he, as I stood before him. He wasn't in the throne room. He was near a very massively huge mountain that would make Mount Everest look like a pimple in comparison. It was the most beautiful mountain I've ever seen. I won't go and I start to take off and tell you about what all I saw, but I won't. The royalty of Jesus was so amazing heaven didn't even get my attention. I didn't look at him and go, oh wow, this is awesome. What about this, Jesus? Awestruck. Royal. I did some really strange things when I came back. Then the next year, I changed everything in my life. All I had was a dirty old truck, a red pickup truck. I was a concrete finisher, and that was my transportation. And I made money with it. I had my own company. I made that old beat-up truck look like a new one. I took every one of my clothes that didn't show some kind of excellence about them. I gave them away to the poor. I went to the Goodwill because I didn't have any money in the 
and they didn't want to wear the fashions of the day because now it all looked so worldly. I had real long hair like Nick's. Meant too much to me, I cut it off. My ego went to the cross. I was so extreme, it was unreal. I bought all clothing that wasn't the fashion of today. It was the fashion of 20, 30 years before. And I really looked like an oddball. And I wasn't trying to get attention, I was trying to get away from it. It worked just the opposite. message changed. I couldn't prophesy to anybody or talk to anybody about anything but Jesus. I was consumed. And I still am. He captured me. He told me to tell you about it. He told me to tell you he wants to come to you. He wants to appear to you. He wants to call you up there. He's saying it every day. Come up here and I'll show you things that must now come to pass. Not just in time events, things that pertain to his, who he is and what he's revealing. His eyes are phenomenal. Oh my gosh. They're phenomenal. He gave me a love for people that's been with me to this day. I meet them all the time. He's looking right at me and he said, Behold, your future. His face was looking at me right in and he went just like this. And when he did, every little degree his face turned, changed, went this way. Another face appeared, and another face, and another face. And he just turned it till he was all the way around here and looking over there, profile. And he came back and it did it again. Same thing. More. A thousand, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, half a million, 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 million. He went all the way around like this. Every one of them different faces like cards with pictures on them that you go and it shows a picture and he came back like this and looked me in the eyes and he said these will be the ones that you will minister and give them give them every day. Yeah, I meet people and if I ever, you ever see me say to somebody, man, you look so familiar, like I know you. It's because I've seen you. I know that sounds lofty, but I believe it. If you don't, it's okay. It's really not for you, it's for me. But if you believe it, you know it. 
I saw the king. He's high and lifted up. And the train of the people is following him. His train is massive, unstoppable, in number. so brilliantly bright and shining and every ray of light that came out of him was the word of the Lord. It was the word. And it went inside of me, all through me. I could take off right now and quote on this subject right here and quote you verse after verse after day. Sometimes I do it. I don't want to show off. Because he lasered it. you do that? He said, you thought I did it from the light that's coming out of here, but I was doing it from the light that's in you because everything you saw out here is actually inside of you. For the kingdom is within you. And he taught me the revelation of that. Do you know there's other planets Besides the main planet, heaven. No, I don't mean planets out here in our universe. This is in another dimension. Everything in this realm that you see was patterned after something that's there. This is all the temporary and the shadow of things to come. And it's beautiful. It's so glorious. When he said, you have to go back. I screamed at the top of my lungs. We never talked. I didn't open my mouth. Everything in me said, no, 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 Jesus. Why would I want to come back here? People tell me all the time, we've got to run and pray for them. We've got to raise them from the dead. If they, if they were a believer, you probably... Or too late. Sometimes no. That's why I always ask before I pray for people to be raised. And I ask him seriously. I don't get in a hurry. I've got to do something right now. Relax. Seek the Lord and find out really, really, really if that's what he wants you to do. Because that other person has a choice unless God's already said, which he does sometimes, but not very often. I'm sending you back. I don't want to. But you're not done, and I'm sending you back. Can he do that? Yes. Can he say, do you want to go back? I'll give you a choice. Sometimes he does. Because he's so royal. He's not a dictator. But he is a king. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He created everything we see. And nothing was made that he did not make. 
And everything he made, he made perfect and beautiful and glorious. Even Lucifer. He was one of his most spectacular projects in all of heaven. And he gave him an imagination, a chooser, willpower. And he could imagine things. And he imagined, I want my throne above his. Because he gave him the ability to imagine. And creative ability to, in his mind, create something that wasn't, and wasn't even God's will. Because there was choice involved. Just like he made us. We can choose. We can imagine. We can imagine and create with our imagination. It is so powerful. The things I'm telling you, if you take them and imagine them, go imagine what the glorified Christ looks like. Look in the Bible. There's a picture of him. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 4. Ezekiel chapter 1. There's a couple others. Ezekiel 9. He's the day dawn, the bright and morning star. He's the son of righteousness. It's spelled S-U in there. Giving us a picture of the brilliance of his glory. His glory doesn't hurt your eyes at all. But it can blind you. Because he did that to Paul. Why'd you do that? <laughs> to show him he didn't know the true light because he was deceived and thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. And you remember when he knocked Paul off his horse? How many of you remember when he knocked Paul off his horse on the way? Remember that? Did you ever ever read it? There's no horse there. Right? Joey? No, there's no horse. That's a tra tradition of men. And it was a ball, a shining, glorious flash of light that blinded him. And in the midst of it was the voice that spoke to him. The person of the resurrected, glorified Christ. He said, if if you think you see, then you shall be made blind. But if you think you're blind, then I can make you see. That's what he did to Paul. He thought he could see, but he was actually blind. So he blinded him so he could make him see. And from then on, he always saw and knew. Deep, wonderful mysteries of God that are so simple. I never seek an encounter of anything except Jesus. I've seen a lot of things and had many, many encounters, but Jesus is always there. Sometimes he is not the most dominant thing. Sometimes he's in a mystery, like a side note. And if you don't look for him in the encounter and find him first, the rest of the encounter 
loses its highest meaning. Same with interpreting your dreams. He's in all of them. What about nightmares? They're all from the devil. Oh, he's in the nightmares too because he never leaves you or forsakes you. Ever. He's the ever-present one. He's always with you. And if you can see him in the nightmare, suddenly you're able to turn the nightmare (laughs) into a glorious new day. so amazing. There isn't anything he doesn't redeem that has to do with humanity. He doesn't redeem everything. Some people are trying to redeem everything. But he doesn't redeem everything. If he did, he'd redeem the devil and his angels and they have no redemption. None. There's no redemption for Satan and his hordes. They cannot be saved. They're eternally doomed. And God has a plan for that. In eternity, he has a very practical plan for why he created a place for them in eternity. What is it? Well, it will always cause us to remember goodness of God and how kind he was to us when we didn't deserve it. He's royal. Everything he does is royal. That was so royal. That was so kind. I love royal I love to watch a man get out of his car and go around and open the door for his wife. That is so royal. Or a girlfriend, or any women in the car. Let's do talk about it, because there's a bride and a bridegroom. And he wants us to, every man should be, learn to walk like the bridegroom and treat his wife and his daughters and other women. A man should never open the door and go before if he knows there's a woman behind him. Oh, you're just old-fashioned. Yep. And it's an eternal old-fashioned. It has always been and will always be because it's royal. It's kind. Well, why don't women open the door for men? Because men are not as beautiful sensitive and tender and emotionally intelligent as women are. You really believe that? Yeah, I do. See, I love women. My mother's a woman. My sisters are women. I have eight daughters that are women. I have all kinds of granddaughters. And I have daughters in the spirit in this room that I love dearly and I want to provide and protect and care for them because that's the heart of Father God and he causes us men to be protectors and providers and nurturers 
And we should be digging and living the life that gets us revelation because they're getting revelation because they're sensitive, but their revelation is incomplete without yours. And yours is incomplete without theirs. Just if you're sisters and friends, we complete each other. Why God created Ish and Isha. Male and female. In his image and likeness created he them. I'm not just talking about sexual gender. I'm talking about nature, perceptions, emotional understanding, depth, what life's really all about. It's beautiful. It's royal. It's so royal to watch a king. I love what Braveheart did for his bride. I love the heroes that we see, the movies. I love the way they treat real heroes. They always treat women really well. And women really respect. Women are supposed to have a meek and a quiet spirit, but that does not mean weak and keep your mouth shut spirit. Meekness is having great power and having it under control. Because women have the power to take the most majestic man with all of his power and glory and pretty much bring him under their power. Kings have fallen, rulers, the greatest of people, men, because of this uniqueness and mystery of womanhood. It's captivating. It's amazing. It's stunning and brilliant. And men, in the brightness of their true manhood, shine like the strength and the power of a lion, protecting them to lie down together. That's the kingdom of God. Royal. It's royal. It's royal to denounce worldliness and ungodliness and to be saved from this perverse generation. That's what Acts chapter, what is it? Nine, I think it is. Be saved from this perverse gener- this crooked and perverse generation. Good God, we don't want to be like the world. It's perverse. Everything about it's perverse. And when you say that word, everybody automatically thinks you're talking about gender things. No. Behavior patterns that are royal. Anything that's not. you were created as kings and priests and even prophets to our God. Are you a prince or a pauper? 
How do you behave yourself? How do you think things through? Do you involve policies that are upright and procedures that are focused and intentional towards that which is noble? First thing I talked about was giving. Because money is the, the love of it is the root of all evil. It makes and breaks so many people. We work. We have jobs and businesses for the purpose of creating revenue. Isn't that true? How many, how many would quit your job if they didn't pay you? <laughs> Don't tell me my job's not about me making money. You, you should go in the ministry for a while because you'll find out people don't pay you. They think it's a sin to pay you for the gospel. They've been taught that, which it's not even in the Bible. You don't take the gospel to people that don't know Jesus at all and charge them for it. But if people don't pay for the gospel with their time, their effort, with their life, with their emotions, with their heart, if they don't pay with their love, and give some money into it, then their, then their value on what they get is small. And the ability to keep what's given to them freely slips away. You ever notice that you value a book you buy more than you do one that was just given to you? Here's a book I got. I really like it. Read it. Okay, I will. When I, but you go to the store and look for a book and you heard about one and you get it and you pay the money and you can't wait to read it and you treat it and you'll carry that book, that Bible, that passion translation everywhere you go. Or you want it within reach or you want to be able to get it because you constantly love it and you're thinking about the things that's in it. And you don't mind paying for the gospel at all. Forgive me, I'm a Jew. This is the way we think. I'm the seed of Abraham. I'm royal. And I understand that resources and revenues give you the ability to take dominion and rule. If you have no resources, you can help. God intended you to be royal in every area of life. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He intended them to be so royal. Man, I'm exercising today and, saying, and repenting and saying, God, it was so fun getting this, but it's miserable getting it off. This does not feel royal. This feels hard. Working muscles, you know, But it's working. Royal. Our bodies are royal. They don't belong to us. Your body now belongs to him. He bought it with a price. Isn't this true? We say my body, but it's not really your body. It's his. He bought it with his blood. And now it's his temple. His
belongs to him. It's royal. He thinks it's so royal. He paid the highest price for it. And then drenched you in that high price called the royal blood of the lamb. And he did it out of the royal law. Didn't he? Didn't he do it out of, from the royal law? What's the royal law? Somebody tell me what the royal law laws. Maybe you would look it up in James chapter 2, verse 8. The royal law. However you want others to treat you, you treat them like that. How would you like to be treated? How many would practice treating others the way you want to be treated? Just be reminded of it today. Because sometimes we slip. We, we have, all of us have areas where we've got to shore up, get right with God, get right with man. All of us. <laughs> I get up and preach the gospel and walk away. I, I can't stand to listen to it. I go crazy. I say, oh, my God, I can't believe I look like that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe that. Oh, I become my own worst critic. You know what I'm talking about? How many like to compete? How, we, few of you can be an honest. Honestly, how, how many like to compete? How many like to win? I mean, like to do things and win. You, you, you like to commit. You, it, I mean, uh, you like to compete. Yeah, of course, of course. But we're not talking about that. We're, that's that's a, that's another subject. But that's royal. That's really not another subject. That's royal. We love to compete because something in us. Wants to win. We love winners. When they're awarded in the Olympics and they put them up on the stand, everybody wants to watch that and hear the music. <laughs> they're from my nation. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> we all love it. We all love this. It's because you were made for royalty. You were made to talk royal. Good God, I, that's where I really need some help. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not me, you. <laughs> the royal conversation is always seasoned with grace. It's gracious. Gracious. Always kind. I'm not always kind. Is there an amen in the house? No, don't. No, no, just <laughs> We are so royal and we don't know it. Get up in the morning and you go in the bathroom and you stand before the mirror. Look right in the mirror and say, I'm royal. Then say, I'm going to wash myself with the washing of the water of the word. Turn on some water and splash your face. Then dry it briskly to wake you up. Kind of cleanse it that little, little bit. Cold or hot, your choice. Then look in the mirror. And you will immediately say, I'm royal. And it will change your whole day. It'll change your whole day. 
Jesus is in me. Oh my goodness, my father is the king of kings. He's the creator of all things. And he said in the book that we're his trophies. His prize is not fallen humanity. But he looks at him and doesn't see him falling anymore. And he says, I'm going to turn them into my prize. I'm giving them my nature. I'm going to take them and give them a royal bath, a blood bath. <laughs> the purple blood of God. Dye their robes royal. They're my royal priesthood. Faith is really royal. Because faith is built on fellowship with the Father. And faith is not founded on fellowship with the Father. will fizzle and fail in the fight. Intimate faith is the most royal thing there is. And without it, it's impossible to please God. Faith is amazing. It's built on hope. Whoever brings the most hope to people will be the ones people like the most. Because people are hopeless in a hopeless world. Going nowhere, but in a downward spiral. The world systems. The ways of man. But the ways of God are an upward spiral because it's caught in the upward draft of the DNA of God. The spiral staircase to heaven. Heavenly things. Oh, that's to be a long DNA. No, because heaven is closer than your breath. Literally. Why did I tell the story? Because I couldn't breathe. I had encounters from God. I came to realize that I can do nothing apart from him. Even my breath was a gift. And when I could breathe no longer, he kept me alive with his breath. His ruach, a kodesh, spirit and breath and life of God. Ruach, ruach, put the, that in there. Ruach, a kodesh. Ha, kodesh. breathed into Adam and Eve, he didn't just start their heart pumping. He didn't just start their lungs moving. He breathed into him his breath, his life substance that's eternal. And though their bodies wore out and died, that breath didn't. And he breathed it into them and gave it their personality and their uniqueness and gave them form. And when their breath left their body, it looked like God. when he said I no longer live it's not I but Christ 
is it really only Christ in this that is our spirit? But he's infused it with a personality like no one else has. And it has a uniqueness in it to accomplish, to be, to do something nobody in history can. It's that amazing. And every bit of that breath that you are, that ruach, is royal. What if we lived from that? What if we really thought from that? What if we really realized that? Could we do that? That's my question. To be or not to be? That is the question. Not to do. You know, if you want to call yourself a human being, you're a human being, not a human doing. That's a secular once you're born again, you're not really a human being anymore. Oh, you can be if you believe that you have two natures, the fallen nature and the new nature, but I don't believe that. You can have that if you want to. Me, I don't want any of my old nature. Does anybody here want any of their old BC nature before Christ? I don't. But well, then why does it show up? Because you have memories, habits. Patterns built right down into your physical makeup and the depths of the soul, which is so intricate and beautiful, and yet God has made the way of escape for it, that you may be able to bear it. We try running away and escaping everything. He'll make the way of escape so you can bear it. The way of escape is him. He's the only way, because he is the way, and the only truth, and the only life. Is all in all. This royal king and you royal offspring. You royal priesthood. You royal ones who live according to the royal law. Did anybody look it up? Anybody? You want to read it real loud? Stand up and read it, preacher, so everybody can hear. Anybody here like to let me lead you in a quote and say it out loud with me? Would you trust me with that right now? That I'll lead you into a good quote. If you don't trust me, you don't have to do it. That's okay. But after I say it, maybe you'll want to say it. So we'll repeat it. We'll do it twice. That way nobody's making you do anything. You're doing it out of your free will. I love me because I am a new creation. Because Christ is in me. My only hope of glory. I love myself. And therefore I will love others. 
Because love will just come out of me. Because I love me. I love my body. All the time. When I get tempted to eat something that's really going to be bad for me, I will then have to make a choice. Whether I really love me as much as I should. When I get ready to drink something, I will get to make a choice. Is this body really mine? Or the Lord's? Will I keep it the temple of the Holy Spirit? Or will I be a little salt fish? There's two kinds of fish. There's born-again fish and selfish. <laughs> I just heard a big gong go. <laughs> the gong. Anyhow. I love my neighbor. As I love myself. God, I love you, though, with all my heart. That's why I love everybody else. Because you love me. You forgave me. So I forgive everyone else. Because I love my neighbor. Whom I can see. But I can't see you, God. But I love you more than them. And I can prove that. Because I love my neighbor. Whom I can see. As I love myself. Let us all repent. It is a little convicting, this good news of the kingdom. Because we see, we see that we're a work in progress. How fast do we want to arrive? I honestly believe that if we'll start believing we're royal, that's what we'll become really fast. We'll practice royalty. Good manners. I remember when I first, one more story. When I first came back to the Lord from my prodigal years, I went to church. And at that church, it was in a barn in in the hills of Arkansas. And the um, most notable people in the community went there. The people that owned the property, it was on, had a big lake, and they they had every summer camp for children every year and young people, youth, and and they had the cream of the crop of society came there, and they had all the hippies came there, and they had all the street, and we had a street ministry, so all the street ministry came too, and there was people there, you know, it was Arkansas, but we had a lot of black people. Black people loved to come out there because there was so much love. It was a mixed congregation. There was Asians and all different kinds of people that went there. And uh, Larry Randolph was, he played on the worship team. The worship team was led by uh, 
uh, Russ Taff. Any of you ever heard of Russ Taff? Russ Taff was a Grammy Award winner. He, he became phenomenal, world famous. And Larry was on his band, Larry Randolph, and he was the past one of the pastors there. And Larry and I, he, I saw him minister prophetically over somebody. And when he did, this was after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I went over to him and I said, Larry, I keep running into you, and every time I see you, you run from me. And I was real bold and outgoing. I was, now I was a street evangelist, and I was winning people and bringing them to the meetings and all that. Larry avoided me every time he saw me. So finally, we connected on a couple of occasions, and I asked him, I said, Larry, why do you avoid me? And he said, because you scared me. I said, what do you mean? And he said, because you were, he said, I could tell that you were one bad dude in the world because I ran with the really hardcore people. And, oh, God can save me from so much. I was raised really good. On fire mom, generations in my whole family, both sides. God-loving, God-fearing, really together people, property owners and all that stuff. My dad hard-working, buying my mom new homes and treat us the best. I, I never was without. But I just took a crazy wild trip and became the black sheep of the whole family. I was an embarrassment to all of them. I don't know why. Then when I came back to the Lord, I caught on fire and all of them that were lukewarm, and some of them that were backslidden, but seemed okay, they were good people, I, st I just started winning them to my own family. They just all turned to the Lord and caught on fire because I was so on fire with Jesus. My dad never did, wasn't, he went to church, but he wasn't a spiritual man, hardworking, good man. Best man I ever knew. But he wasn't spiritual. I was highly spiritual. I went after my whole family. Now I'm the patriarch of our entire family. Anything comes along that's a spiritual quest and nobody knows what to do, they call me. They look to me. We have family gatherings and I go back to Arkansas. They all, we all get together. And some of them are critical of me because of a lot of different reasons. That's really good for you in a family, you know. It's really good that your, your family can test you and try you. <laughs> it's a fact of life. How many know that's a fact of life? It's just the way it is. Every parent knows your children. But you know what your children never forget? And you know what they'll always come back to? Always. They'll always come back to royalty. They will always come back to the royal nature of Christ living through us. They will always, when they're in trouble, that's where they'll head. They will always make a beeline for anything that's royal because everything inside of them says, that's who and what I am. And they want to be reminded. The whole world's waiting for us to get it. 
whole world's waiting for us to really be who we really are, royal. What if I told you one of the first signs of living in really living in royalty will be a financial will be financial breakthroughs left and right? Would you think I was preaching a false gospel? Because I I was you talked about somebody that was poor. Man, I was poor. I could not believe what God did teach me royalty. The things he started making happen for me because I was so in love with him. And I loved him so much I would go out and work all week long and sign my check and put it in the offering. Wouldn't even cash it. I'd just sign it and put it in the offering. And I did it over and over again. Gave it to an evangelist. Gave it to... I'd go cash it and go buy food and clothing for people that was poor. Stuff like that. I still delight to do that stuff because they get a chance to see real royalty. He told me to tell you one of the first signs you're going to see as you get this message is your value system's going to change and you're going to want to literally treat the ones you love with royalty and you will want to feel that royalty and you will want to behave royal. And that royalty coming out of you will attract every good blessing that you're looking for. It'll come in increments. It'll come little. It'll come suddenly. It'll come in a wave of it and then sudden stop to see what you're going to do with what you've got. Not because he needs to know, but you do. You need to find out that you, the steward, he already knows. He already believes in you. He's already set the course. God doesn't do anything to test us to see what we'll do because he needs to know. <laughs> he's not that dense, man. I mean, he's really got it going on. <laughs> he really believes you're his royal son, his royal daughter. I prophesy this word to you that the abundance of the royal nature of Christ is going to come upon you and you're going to begin to find yourself changing the way you even think when you get up in the morning the way you dress and how you go about preparing for your day that it will not just be mundane but you will look at those eggs as you're frying them and say they came from royal chickens and going into my royal stomach and turn me into a royal person And I'm going to be royally healthy. You're going to start thinking royal, royal, royal. And you're going to act royal. You're going to find yourself wanting to be kind to others. Everybody say, I need that. I need that. Does anybody here need kindness? I do. Gentleness? I do. The fruit of the Spirit is all royal. The gifts of the Spirit are royal. Imagine you can walk up to somebody and tell them who they are in Christ. And give them a royal message right out of a royal priesthood of which you are. And deck them with royalty. And they will change right into what you just said. And the gates of hell can't stop it. Think of the royal power to heal the sick that comes out of your fingertips. 
rays of light just literally come out of you. In your hand is the hiding of his power, says the neon. Isn't that right, Nick? Royalty that shines from your eyes, your heart. The royal priesthood and the royal law. I'm going to finish right here. I've gone a little long. Is everybody okay? Can you give me, how many give me five more minutes? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. That's an old dumb joke and it, it works every time. <laughs> People laugh at it. It is so cheesy. <laughs> uh, I laugh at it too. Listen to this. I want to. I want to read into it. The, listen carefully, my dear brothers and sisters. God hasn't chosen the poor of the world, of the world's eyes, to be those who are. Excuse me. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world's eyes to be those who are rich in faith? Is that talking to anybody besides me? Because the world don't like us. Oh, you can have favor with them. You you can, at times, get them to really like you. But at times they get really, you got really full of God, and you'll start rubbing them raw. They'll get irritated being around you because they know they're rejecting the right thing. He's chosen the poor in the world's eyes to be those who are rich in faith. And won't they be the heirs of the kingdom? The kingdom realm he promised to those who love him. But yet you insult and shun the poor in your efforts to impress the rich. Ooh, whoa, whoa. Be careful. When God starts prospering people, you may want to nub up to them. And then you may start play acting <laughs> like Joey taught, remember? Being an actor. And be careful. You don't need to impress them because they've now really prospered and got it all together. So you try to impress them. Just be yourself and be real. Just be royal. Just get around them and show them Christ. Just be who you really are. The new creation you really are. God's going to put you with who he wants you with. He knows where you fit in the body. He knows what piece of puzzle you are and who, what fits around you perfectly to make the beautiful picture that those pieces help bring together. He knows all of that. He's got it for you. Just trust him. It's coming together. Isn't it the, the wealthy who exploit you and drag you into court? Aren't they the very ones who blaspheme the beautiful name of the one you now belong to? How many get called into court all the time by somebody starts accusing you and getting negative about you and 
ridiculing you and despising you and treating you bad. And Do you know what they're doing? They're calling you into court. They're bringing accusations against you and accusing you before the courts of heaven. So show up for court. <laughs> just go on up. Just right there on the spot. Just go up and say, Lord, if there's anything I'm doing right now that I'm guilty of in this situation, I just want to say I'm guilty. Must have been imperfect. I've offended somebody. I've done something wrong. I trust you, Lord, your salvation. I trust you. You're the judge. I'm just not coming to my father right now. I'm coming to you as judge. You're the most, you're, your honor. I stand before you and I trust you to try me. I just have one plea. I plead the blood. You got it. You, should, you just, you know, you're going to win this case. Because somebody already in his royalty has shed his blood for you. And he's your lawyer. So fix the court. You win. You always win. I don't mean you win over them. I mean you win before the court. Then the Lord brings the favor. Then the Lord brings it to pass. Then the Lord turns the tide. Whatever you do, when people start accusing you, don't defend yourself. Because then the Lord can't. You say, oh man, yeah, okay, go ahead. You know, Jesus opened not his mouth when they accused him of all kinds of stuff, and he was never guilty at all. And he took the punishment for us. So we don't have to. Anybody up for that? Of course you are. That's the grace of God. Aren't they the very ones who blaspheme the beautiful name of the one you now belong to? Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture. You must love and value your neighbor as you love yourself and value yourself. Give your mom a hug. Tell her we prayed for her and that we send the love of God and the prayers of the saints to her. Okay, love you. Good to see you. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. But when you show prejudice, you commit sin and you you violate the royal law of love. I wanted to tell a couple more stories tonight, but I'm not going to do that. But times when... I really wanted my way on things and I knew I was right and I knew it was the will of God. And I put it on the altar and gave it to the Lord. And it disappeared and it was painful. And within a short period of time, it all started coming back, multiplied, greater, 
more powerful beyond anything I could even imagine for me. It's happened to me over and over and over. So many times I can't even count them. It really works. When you treat somebody else the way you'd like to be treated. We never win when we fight for our own way. But when he fights for us, we never lose. Now listen, you're talking to somebody that's learning this daily. Not the expert, but one who's preaching it because I'm living it. I'm doing this. And it works. (laughs) oh my goodness the Lord said I want you to take that offering I just gave to you son and I want you to plant a church with it and I said oh you're going to have to tell my wife Vin and she comes up and says we're supposed to help plant a church with that money instead of us going and buying a house so we can have a house so I called the person who gave it to us and said, you didn't designate it, but you said, I'm really excited about you guys getting a house. Would you release me from that? Or was that designated? She said, oh, no, it's yours to do with what you desire. And I gave it all away. And for the next year, lived in a rented house and barely made the payments on it. Had a real hard time that year. And one year later to the day, I received a phone call. And a businessman said, I want to give you, I want to transfer money to your account. Would you give me the, all the bank numbers? And I said, okay. He said, do you want to know how much it is? And I said, yes. I would love to know. I thought he was going to tell me like 10 grand or something, you know. But it was multiplied that 30, 40 times. And suddenly, (laughs) I didn't know what it was for. And I fell on my face. I said, this can wreck me or make me. What do you want with this, God? What do you want me to do? He said, I want you to go to Russia. Excuse me. So I went to Russia with Bob Weiner. Did crusades. He really liked it. When I told him, he invited me to go and said, I want you to put together prophetic teams because he was ministering in a conference. We raised money for him to go. And I said, I'd be glad to go. And he said, well, I'd like to have you come on a couple. Well, can you put teams together and come over and prophesy to all these college students that are being saved. About 3,000 of them in the first one and at least 1,500 in every one of them. I said, oh, I'd love to do it, but I'll only do it one way. And he said, how's that? And I said, if I can pay for it. He said, you could do that. I said, I can't, but God can. He said, oh, okay, I'll agree with you for your faith for that. And I said, no, I already have it in the bank. He said, what? Whoa. 
Now this, he's a Jew. Bob Weiner's a Jew. And he understands that when people are blessed like that from God, and it's for the kingdom of glory, he understands that, they're, that God's got something really big in his eyes for their heart. Now, I believe that. I believe that I had a good heart to do that. But he gave me that heart. I didn't sacrifice anything. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with any of it, really. He, made, he did it all. He made it all happen. But it was so fun to do it. All because I gave up a house. So on my last trip over there, I was flying into Helsinki and catching a flight from Helsinki to Denmark and from there to fly me home to Spokane, Washington. Or no, to, what was that? Yeah, Spokane at that time. And the Lord says to me, I want you to preach the gospel in Helsinki. See, I started out welcoming this family from Finland. And I went to Russia. And was there for a year off and on. Many meetings and three weeks, a month at a time. And my second to the second to the last, not the last, the second to the last one, he said, I want you to preach in Helsinki. So I went to Bob and said, Bob, do you know anybody in Helsinki? He said, Yeah, I do. And he said, There's a guy there who has a YMCA, Kari Torma. And I said, cool. Flew in there and they picked me up. And I started preaching the gospel there. Next thing I knew, there was meetings breaking out all over, all over Finland, everywhere in the nation. And they turned into revivals. And signs and wonders begin to happen. And I started preaching in the largest cathedrals and they'd be packed. And we started doing prophetic conferences and doing things that were new. And I've, to this day, got friends that come here all the time from Finland. It would have never happened if I hadn't had a royal encounter with what it means to give. And the fruit that was produced. And all that, really, you know, honestly, when you give something, it's not really you giving. It's God who gave it to you. And it's letting him steward it through you. It really is. That's what life is all about. That's the royal priesthood and what it's about. So I'm going to give an offering, do an offering tonight, and I'm going to give an offering tonight, and I'm going to do that before we let Wayne come up and tell you what we're doing, and then we'll let you get out of here, because this has been long. Does anybody feel a little more royal tonight? How many of you feel the royalty of Christ? How many want to live royally? I mean, to really stop and think about it. when you leave here tonight. Before you get out the door, practice some royalty. 
soon as you get up, you just receive the impartation of the royalty of God. I, I, I'm, I myself am receiving it right now. I need a lot more of it. I want more, 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 more. Everybody say more. More, more what? More royalty. How about more royalty? How about we just tell him, Lord, we want more royalty. The royal law. We want to operate in that. The royal law of liberty. Go on and read in that chapter and talks about the royal law of liberty. And now you have really have liberty. You have it by not judging anymore. Judging your brother and sister, your mother, your sister, your friends. You don't pass judgments on them and make judgments of judging who and what they are. I didn't say stop discerning. I said stop judging. You don't pass judgments. You intercede and pray. You remit their sins and forgive them. You don't hold it to their account. You don't keep a record of it. It's royal. Amen.